Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Well, hello there, and welcome to WTA Weekly. It's our AO wrap-up show, uh, and it's been a very interesting uh, women's tournament. I think it's only fitting that we've got the man who helped us look forward to the tournament, now helps us look back on it. It's Mr. Andre Rollenberg. Andre, how are we doing? I'm doing okay. My predictions were not, but I'm okay. (laughs) (laughs) What was your prediction again? I'm fairly sure Sarah Bacchino would win this tournament. I said Shviontek would win this tournament. Oh. <laughs> We're in the same place. And yeah, at least he got around further, so. <laughs> not much comfort. Um, uh, so, I mean, talking of that, I think, I guess that brings us to the main question of the day is, you know, those of us who are into predictions, did we underestimate Arena Sabalenka? Because when I looked at all of our popcorn tennis predictions on the um, the draw challenge, I think only about three people picked Sapolenka to win it. Uh, probably. I think, yeah. I think I, I played a lot of it just like thinking, well, the, the final that Rebakina played with Sapolenka the week before uh, was the 6-3-6 love, 6-love, 6-3, which was pretty brutal. Um, but Sapolenka showed up at a level that was, you know, incredible. And I guess we should have we should have first seen some consistency from her part at least because apparently she has reached the semifinals of every Grand Slam since 2022 US Open. So six in a row. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had to get into the semis, don't get me wrong. Um, mm. but 
I was questioning how she would handle a semi-final against Coco Goff. Um, that was my main yeah. thing. Because like at the minute, she was basically losing to other players at the big four when things were getting tight. That's what she was doing. She didn't this time, though. Yeah. Uh, I think Sabalinka played with, you know, confidence that she was playing well and I think she didn't really overhit it like I think she did some of that in against Coco in the final of the US Open she probably came up with a plan after that like I was just try to counter that because the defense is going to be way too good I cannot just hit it winners all the time um but yeah I think Coco didn't play her best best tennis that she can possibly play but she played a really phenomenal match i think i guess it was probably one of the matches of the tournament even though it didn't go three sets um so you know it was a good one i think sabalinka just kind of you know took aggression and made it more of a not conservative that's not the word that i'm looking for but like she was just like more contained like she wasn't just going for lines and just hitting for hitting so she's just i think she just played with a little bit more you know um less emotion and just like more 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 head into it if that makes sense yeah that's what happened in the semi-final yeah she she definitely i think sabalenka was the one who turned it around and i think mm -hmm. coco felt it a little bit maybe but um certainly when that second set they were pretty even for a lot of it um and i was impressed by the way sabalenka breakthrough um and given the way she just dismissed every single other opponent that she faced including yeah. young chin wen in the final uh yeah maybe it wasn't a surprise um yeah one of one of the most impressive grand slam title yeah. runs that i can remember in the last couple of years yeah um maybe the the other impressive that you, we could mention would be probably Gashiantek also all in straight sets loss of 28 games um emma Raducanu, 2021 us open after that i think they were all very uh very um hard fought wins but this one was just like she was like by a mile the best player of the tournament the last player to win a grand slam without dropping a set was ash barty in 2022 right. australian open so and barty was looking untouchable that tournament like she was the heavy favorite all the way through very similar to this but obviously ash conducts her tennis in a very different way to the way sabalenka does and yeah when sabalenka's <clears throat> tennis works it really works. I don't think we saw anything really ugly from her. Um, there wasn't any egregious unforced errors. The way she played that final, she just controlled the whole thing. Uh, yeah, super impressive. Like she, I think she came out swinging against Jung, took her down, and like just got the advantage in the set in the match, and just never looked back. And Jung tried her best, mm -hmm. but it wasn't uh, her best. wasn't enough, and eventually. Uh, you know, she couldn't maintain the level required in the second set. Yeah, um, I think that uh, the only part of uh, Savalink that I saw was just maybe a little nervous, like some errors that she wouldn't have made all the tournament um, was just like when she was 40 love up uh, when against Zhang uh, at match point. But I mean, like, seriously, it's like you're serving for your second Grand Slam title. Like, it, there's obviously some nerves that would kick in, but she did super well to like keep it, keep keep it within herself and hit an ace and break point and then just kind of like went away with that. So, I mean, it's completely excusable um, unforced errors that she's made there. She just really wanted to finish it and just 
got the rush of the championship. But I mean, other than that, like obviously, um, yeah, she just never really felt like she was going to lose. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, in the final, or you know, I think I think it kind of dawned on me that Sapolenka might be the favorite to win the tournament, probably around one round three when she double bageled Serenko. And I didn't think she, like, I didn't think Serenko had a chance of beating her, but I don't know, she did have a chance, but I don't think it was likely Serenko would beat her, but I wasn't expecting a double bagel. Um, and then that coupled with Rabakina was out, Sviontek <coughs> was about to, Sviontek was going to have to really fight her way to the final. I was only looking at Coco Goff as the main threat and uh, Coco was going through the draw convincingly, but in a different way. And that was when I sort of went, oh, yeah, arena in Australia, maybe there's there's something there. Hmm. Yeah. I can't think of a, I certainly think that she's going to be heavy favourite to retain her title in 2025 when we come back round. Um, the only person who's really pushed her in the country of Australia, the only person who's beaten her in the country of Australia in the last two years is Rebecca. Hmm. I guess not in the country of Australia, but like just at the Australian Open. No, uh, Brisbane, uh, um, or yeah. Adelaide, something like I want Adelaide. Adelaide so, is in Australia. Yeah, so, Adelaide. Yeah. yeah, so like the country of Australia is what I'm saying. Oh yeah, but yeah, and, uh, Brisbane, Adelaide, Melbourne. Mm. You know. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's just yeah. I mean, I think winning the first time definitely gives uh, gave her confidence, and obviously. The other results that she's had in 2023 definitely gave her a lot of uh, you know, um, confidence to play play well there. I think she arrived there um, on the back of great results and uh, not not that I'm saying that she didn't have pressure, but uh, she could you know deal with the pressure by knowing that her level is up there. It's not that she was going to you know she doesn't necessarily have ranking pressure in the sense that like she absolutely depends on these points. Uh, um, I don't know. I feel like she did really well just kind of like to put herself in a really good place um also really putting behind the loss uh, to Rivakina as well like because that, that would have been kind of really tough to take but I guess first tournament of the season there's always a way to talk yourself out of it and just say like hey listen this is just a warm-up let's just this is this is where it really matters that's what I'm going to raise my level so I think that's exactly what she did um and yeah I don't even know if there's any part of her game that uh, I think impressed me the most, maybe the serve. I think the serve is always something that I think it's um, one of the things that you kind of look at and just thinking, hmm, is she going to start hitting any double faults here? Is she going to go for too much? Or um, is, is she just going to go for speed and just kind of get those uh, returns right at her feet and just kind of get in trouble? But I think this time she just did great everything. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I agree. And actually, you know, you mentioned the, the turnaround from Brisbane. Um, I think uh, it hadn't occurred to me that actually that was quite a turnaround, given the beatdown that she experienced um, from Rebecca and the way that it happened. Um, yeah, that was a really, really good turnaround for her to, to basically just come out so confidently in round one, the way that she did. Uh, and just just run from there and i think maybe she gained hope from the other half of the draw falling apart as it did uh but yeah this is um yeah super super impressive performance that yeah her serve was fantastic i i genuinely as you said like that last game 
is the only scrappy the uh, well apart from the games where you got broken by coco in the first set in their semi uh was the only really scrappy game i saw the rest of the tournament for understandable reasons uh mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. utterly imperious um there's been some really good um comments coming in on the live chat on the live versions broadcast for anyone listening back on the podcast um and um what do you think about the comment that we've got from uh hector um saying that uh sabalenka will always have an advantage on fast courts such as the us open australian open indian wells um i mean i would agree with that but i would say rabakana is also in the mix and as john is saying indian wells is not a fast hard court um that's the only technical like i'll do that sort of um actually thing mm. uh but yeah um, I would agree with her game style. The faster the court, the more dangerous she is. I like she's going to be one of the favourites for Wimbledon. Yeah, um, yeah. Wimbledon is uh, fast, but in a different way. I think just like all, the the thing that for me people always kind of forget to mention about Wimbledon is the, you know, what happens on your side of the court, like uh, the bounce and the movement is is something that needs to be mastered. Uh, when you when you consider Wimbledon, so um, it's it's just always a little bit trickier in in that regard. But she's reached the final before, I believe. Sabalenka. No semifinals. Semifinals, yeah. So I love to Pliskova in twenty one, Jabeur in twenty three. Yeah. So yeah, of course, like Sabalenka is is one of the favorites going into Wimbledon. Uh, maybe the second slime is definitely going to be like the moment where she's going to go into Wimbledon as as you know the most confident she's ever been. We'll see. Like maybe a peaking performance from uh, Jabra could take it out again. I don't know. I mean, let's see how the Sunshine Double goes because I think sure. that's the most relevant court to Wimbledon, especially Miami. Um, although that's not as fast as it used to be. Um, and then obviously we need to see how she reacts to how she does in clay, um, how her grass court warm up goes. Although having said that, she didn't have a great grass court warm up, and she still made the semis of Wimbledon um, last year. Uh, maybe she might like Pliskova and Jabeur both hit pretty flat. So maybe if she comes against a really flat hitter like Rabakina on a good day, that's going to give her some problems. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like we've got our poll up, which like you guys let us know who are watching us live. Uh, let us know your say. Um, or even if you're watching us back in the comments um, of the podcast or the YouTube video and just let us know, do you think, Irina Sabalenka will win another slam in 2024. Um, uh, I am reluctant to say yes, just purely because she's going to have some really stiff competition. Hmm. Yeah, for Indiana's Miami Sunshine Double? Uh, well, no, the slam, just another major, oh. like oh, Roland, yeah. Gar- Roland Garros is Eager's territory. Yeah, um, this one is... Uh, Wimbledon yeah. depends on how Rebecca is doing, I think. Mm-hmm. And then US Open is you know you've got coco in the mix there shviontek if they fix the balls um and uh rebacca still uh plus anyone else who cares to show up over the course of the year so um i think she will be the favorite one of the favorites all of them but i don't want to say definitively yeah she's going to win another one yeah yeah we'll see like it competition has been tough like um multiple slam majors in, in the same season um last one was Fiantec. So yeah, I think that 
also kind of too too much of a recency bias to just pick uh, Andre Antek to say that she's not going to win anything anymore because it's it's always been ridiculous but because of the fact that her 2021 season was so 2022 season was really good and um, we're still kind of like feeling the the lingering effects of that if she doesn't win every single big tournament so um, who knows i think that it's going to be really competitive and now we have actually Zhang, uh, in, not necessarily in the mix entirely but she's she's kind of entering the the course i think in terms of uh progress progress i think we can expect more from her i think this season maybe not as lamb but maybe an upset here and there i think do you think zhang chin wen is now locked in for top 10 for the rest of the season i mean she needs to play well in other tournaments i think that having one big grand slam result is uh is is good but at this point what she needs she's going to need to do now is back it up so whatever she does next is going to be the answer if she has like a couple bad um, tournaments here and there. I think it's it's going to start being a, a bigger question. But uh, from what she did last year and how she followed it up with this year, I think it's uh, probability is higher that she's going to be uh, hanging around the top ten more than not. So I would say yes, probably. Not necessarily that I'll lock in, but I would say that the probability is higher that she stays in the top ten than not. Yeah, she'd have to play pretty badly for the rest of the year to not be ranked mm-hmm. top 10 uh, mm-hmm. by the end of it. And I think there's there's reasons to hope, right? You know, min- her last sort of mini breakthrough in a slam was that quarterfinal run at the US Open last year, where she was probably more badly beaten by Sabalenka in that match. Um, and she, I think she was definitely a lot more resilient against Arena in this final, which is a good sign. Um, but like she built on that quarterfinal run with that amazing sort of end of season in Asia, um, getting the um, obviously Asian Games title, that 500 title, uh, and now backing that up with a with a Grand Slam win. And also, what impressed me about her run is she didn't falter when she became the favourite to win reach the final, at least by ranking. Obviously, as a ranking, Svitolina was in the draw at round four. They had more experience, but Jung was the highest ranked player mm-hmm. and she played like she was the favourite and was okay with the expectation to win. So that's what gives me hope that she's going to continue to play well this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I guess like in terms of the final, um, what do you think that she could have done better maybe? Uh, was there a chance that she could have maybe taken a set off Savalink or make it, make it closer? Um, okay. Uh what could she have done? Um, not a lot because Arena was amazing. Like, Arena wasn't putting a foot wrong. And when Arena doesn't f- put a foot wrong, frankly, no one could stop her. Um, John, I know, thinks she started slowly. I disagree. I think Arena started fast. Um, and um, uh, the 40 love break points, by that point, Sabalenka had kind of... Sabalenka saved those break points. Young didn't falter on them. Like, Zhang didn't make a real unforced error until advantage at that two-love game for Sabalenka to get that hold for three-love. Um, so really, uh, like, the only thing she could have done better is not double fault in set two. That's what cost her set two, really. Um, otherwise, I think she could have, like, maybe kept pace with Arena, taken it to a tie-break. Um, 
But I think, yeah, there wasn't... Arena Sabalenka was needed to start making more enforced errors to let Zhang rattle her cage. That was the only thing that was going to happen. Mm. Like, Zhang would have to put something special out of the bag. And I'm not saying she can't do that or she'll never do that, but she wasn't ready to do that. Um, so it just wasn't her day. That's that's my view. I don't know if you have different thoughts on it. Yeah, no, I think that... I don't, I don't particularly think that she made the adjustment that she would have needed to, I think. Maybe uh, like Coco did at the US Open, just kind of... She, she got... I don't know if she was bagel in the first set, but she was kind of like a pretty... It was a pretty tough uh, first set that she it's lost. She's best set in the US Open. Yeah, yeah. So something like that. But... Uh, <clears throat> But I think the Jean could have made obviously the, the double faults, I think, were the biggest problem that she's had. Like they always came in clusters as well. It's not like she served she served like six double faults uh in the final. Um, which is a lot, but uh people won matches with that more. So um I do think that the problem was that I feel like she wasn't ready. I guess you you put it the the right way. I don't think she was ready to win a Grand Slam, especially against Sabalinka that day. Um I think she she could have um defended it a little bit better i thought she was going too much for the lines at times especially trying to be overly aggressive even on like extremely defensive positions which you're going to find yourself in uh, when you're playing sabalenka but i think that she could have been a little bit more patient perhaps to try to like, at least keep um the score a little closer i think that um her level deserved at least like a, a 175 set at least i find um overall but um yeah Sabalenka she would probably win anyways regardless yeah I think Sabalenka would have won when it got tight um I think she would have found a way through um I mean you talked about how do you rate Zhang's defensive game and sort of wrapped up in that question you know we're talking about her staying in the top 10 you know what's the lessons here what's where where needs a little bit more development would you say in the defensive side or in, ge- or, or in general if there's nothing obvious in the defensive side uh i think her serve can get better <laughs> i i particularly think that um she can hit higher first serve percentages her second serve is attackable um not that this isn't un- unheard of uh you know in tennis in general but you know she can get a little bit better with that um but yeah, I think especially defensively, she's like a great mover. Um, and I think maybe just making some adjustments tactically like throughout the match, uh, maybe becoming a better problem solver when it comes to points like uh, like that. Just maybe match experience is just like the reason why like, she just needs to get her, find herself more in those situations. But, you know, other than that, I think her game is, is well-structured to be, you know, as I said, like she, she should be in the top 10 for a long time, I think, so um i don't i don't know if there is anything in particular maybe other than the serve that i would say needs to get better so this is something i've noticed with a lot of players is the serve is usually the thing that needs working on <laughs> it's usually yeah. like, the first thing you need to what you develop the serve we, we say that about Sviontek, sabalenka had to work on it um Rebecca's percentages could be higher always comes down to the thing that you have the most control of yeah, it's crazy, right? I mean, it's, I don't know, sometimes it, maybe it's easier to react than it is to, uh, you know, act on something. Um, amateur players would know this really well, that like when you're trying to serve, 
you can serve as well as possible in, pra in practice. Like when you step off court, so like maybe you play a match, your legs all of a sudden don't really want to move and you just don't even want to push on on those. So like, I mean, they're human as well. I think that um, they obviously serve um, a thousand times better than uh, most amateur players. <laughs> but like still, like I guess uh, it's, uh, it's a thing that they can control maybe because of things that they've uh, just got too accustomed to doing, a uh, service motion, a, a ball toss, um, something like that is just, or just not necessarily going for too much power instead of going for like more precision. Um, just doing those, those reps and just adjusting a few things probably is better. But yeah, and it comes to sometimes like a problem that uh, uh, Savalenko uh, was having with just, just couldn't put the ball back in. So that is like probably something that needed a lot of a, a bit of a deeper research on it. I think she worked on like biomechanics on something with somebody to try and fix that problem because that was like getting close to having just the apes on the serve, which is career destroying in a way. So we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Um, yeah, I agree. Someone else who serve has, comes under scrutiny at points, is Coco Goff. And we've mentioned her a couple of times on the show so far. Um... And I wanted to know your thoughts, like, given the way the match played out, did she have a chance against Stabalenka? I think she might have, but I want to hear your thoughts. Uh, I wasn't able to watch much of that match, unfortunately. Uh, but from what I'm going off, I think that... Um, I, I just don't want to sound like a broken record here, but I do think that she could have served a little bit better as well. I think Coco has a really big serve, uh, but she wasn't really showing a, a, a heck of a higher, higher level since the quarterfinals against uh, Marta Kostiuk. So maybe it wasn't her day very much as well. So I think that's probably a thing, but I think against, against well, against virtually any player, I think Coco has a chance. Um, you know, I think she, she's, she's good enough that she can pull it off. Um, she has her issues against uh, Sviantec for sure, but um, she definitely had a chance against Sabalenka. She she has the game to frustrate her. She has the movement. She has the defense, um, and she has a good serve to hold when she when she's in in that position. So I think she always has a chance, and I think she, she did have a chance. But um, I think her game was faltering a bit much, um, especially uh, in that second week of the tournament. Yeah, I was thinking, you know. If she'd pulled off the final, her run would have been Medvedev-esque in that she would kind of got there by refusing to lose. That's kind of what happened with Kostyuk. The other matches, she didn't drop a set before Kostyuk, I don't think. Um, and she, so she kind of got there through being really defensively solid um, and then engaging weapons when needed. Uh, but then the Kostyuk match was um, the only three setter in the second week. Um, but somehow was just a mess from both players. And Goff's defense really got her through it. Um, 
as as it has done for most of her career in like her ability to fight and not give up. Uh, yeah, that would be where I think that's where she got there. And I think Medvedev, you could say something similar about the way he got to the men's final. Um, I don't know about what you think about that comparison. Uh, I think it's similar. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it's like it, 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 I never heard this comparison, so I'm just kind of processing right now. Like, so it's I it literally came up the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's possible. I think Coco has a slightly better attacking game. I think she can. She her her technique is cleaner than Medvedev, so if, like for a lot of things, like she can do it slightly better. Well, not slightly, but like better than Medvedev, like comparatively. Um, but in terms of like what she got her through, I think it was like a bit of experience on tour and her defense. So just like really just kind of like locking down, just like I'm just not gonna try not to miss, even though she missed a crap ton in that match. Um, so did Kostiuk, but I think Kostiuk had the problem is that she was missing, but she wasn't really trying to, you know, she was kind of trying to push through the the hitting and just like, uh, if, if I miss this one, I'm going to try to make it for the other one. Whereas Coco is like, well, I missed this once and I missed the second. I'm not, I'm trying to not miss now. So that's probably what won her match. Like, um, Costio keep, kept trying to be aggressive, even though it was just not working because she, for some reason, both players are just playing an absolutely terrible match. <laughs> Just I've it, it was a, just a really really bad level uh, in in overall it's and, and that's not a critique in terms of like the players themselves they are capable of doing like playing great tennis but it just so happened on on that day specifically they both showed up and their tennis was not with them <laughs> uh, it, it just happens it's bad days happens to everybody but yeah yeah I think Coco's experience and just like tactical maturity like won the match. Yeah, and let's face it, she has definitely done a really, really good job of improving her tactical game. And I think that's potentially Brad Gilbert's influence. Um, but we saw that on the second half of last year, where she only lost a couple of matches. Uh, she She's definitely, I mean, like, look, that US Open final, her adjustment was really, really good to use her defence to frustrate Sabalenka, um, mm. which she almost did again in that semi-final. Um, so I think a lot of people are writing Goff off for some reason. And I'm like, no, she's still in the mix. I'm still going to put her in the mix for definitely the French, definitely the US Open. I'd also include her in the running for Wimbledon. Um, I don't have any, I, I don't think that that semi-final is a reason to write Coco Goff off. I think she was right in there. Yeah. I think she's 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 definitely right up there. Um, I particularly think that uh, Sabalenka and Triantec are are better now. Uh, maybe Goff is going to pick up her level. She's also always always good to remember. She's only nineteen years old, so I think she she might pick up her level and like, just become even greater in the future. Uh, I think Roland Garros is definitely a possibility. Um, I think she she has a better chance of beating Sabalenka there. Actually, I would say like she. It would be the favorite against Sabalenka at uh, Roland Garros, but still, I would still put like Shantek as a favorite. Even if she played, uh, she played golf. I won't. I don't. I need to. It's it's awful to start looking at the Roland Garros season, the Roland Garros right now because clay season hasn't even started yet. So when we get there, we're going to be able to like evaluate this a little bit better. Let's but, talk about it when we get there. But yeah, I, I agree with yeah. you. I think Coco is at Roland Garros yeah. on paper. 
Coco is the favourite against, against everyone except Sviantec. I would say so, yeah. Uh, Miles, we're talking about your girl. Um, hello, everyone. Miles Davis. He's ready to talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny that I walk into that part of the conversation because, um, first of all, hi, guys. Hi, hello. the wonderful Nick Carter and the awesome Andre. Um, it's so funny because I didn't foresee that to be like my calling card, the Coco Golf person. <laughs> Um, but it is it is transformed into just that. So um That's usually what happens when you're on the show with me and I basically <laughs> just mention your Coco Golf fandom whenever I possibly can because I need to know let other people know that the audience know that I'm not the only biased one on the show. <laughs> I try my best, but it doesn't always work out to not be biased. Um I really, really enjoyed what she showcased in Australia. And I think the in a weird way, her ugliest match showcased what it is that I love about her in the quarterfinal match uh, against Marta Kostuk, Um, That match will sit with me for good and bad reasons because it wasn't the highest quality, but it was definitely, um, I feel like the most dramatic women's match on uh, on the, in Australia. Maybe, maybe give or take Blinkova versus Rabakana because obviously when you play the world's longest tiebreaker, that's pretty dramatic. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited about what Coco showed. I'm excited about what her opponent showed. Actually, I don't know if you guys have talked much about Marta Kostuk, but she's been someone that has been on my radar for a couple of years. And it was nice to see her kind of burst through the ceiling that I thought she was kind of forming for herself and and make make me reevaluate what her future in tennis looks like. Yeah, I I we, we mentioned Kostuk in the context of that match. I was pleased for her that she made the quarterfinals especially since you know she's kind of she she came onto the scene as a 15 year old in australia a couple of years ago mm-hmm. um i don't think that match has changed my mind about her ceiling to be honest i don't see marta kostuk winning a grand slam um but i can see her being a thorn in a lot of top players sides for the majority of her career maybe getting seeded but that's kind of where i'm at on her i don't know where if you have any thoughts andre um, Marta Kostyuk, um, I was, I, I struggled to see her like just doing as, I think that's, first of all, I think that's probably the best term that I've seen her play at and the more, um, her composure and her mental strength and her belief in herself was probably the biggest, even, even when the match as, was playing as it was, I think she never really believed that she was going to lose, like she was going to push herself through the bad level that match was going to. She believed that she could win that, and she very well could have. Um, so I, I I think I'm with Miles in the one. I, I think I'm reevaluating a little bit of like where her level is. I, I think that I can get a better picture of it. Um, as I said before, I think uh, lack of tactical maturity and her like cost her um, several points in that match. Um, so I think that if she kind of can get herself through a more of a um, a more thorough um, mental approach to the match intellectually, just thinking her matches through problem solving. I think she's got the level. I think she's got the game. I think she's she's a really good server. She's a really good um, aggressive player. She believes in herself. Um, so I think it matters about um, about her just to imagine like how can you problem solve better like when you're on court and things are going as Ari as they were uh, against Goff. Because imagine Goff picks up her level and starts not missing as much. That match would be over a six love in the third probably. I, I don't think that I don't think that Costu could have been able to problem solve. Um, so yeah, 
yeah, I'd agree with you there. Um, Andre, I think we've only got you for another five minutes. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe before we move on to Kostyuk's Ukrainian uh, countrywoman who did make a semi-final, um, I just wanted to make the most of you uh, being here. I just wanted to ask uh, you, because obviously Mars has shared his view, but like, what was your favourite WTA match from this year's Australian Open? My favourite... Um... Which matches have I watched? I'm just gonna big disclaimer here. It's just really awful to watch Australian Open, uh, just because like I have to wake up at three thirty a.m. Uh, to watch matches. So, uh, I mean, look, that's I'm why just, I said I'm just watch the best because it's not possible to watch all of them. Yeah, um, but like, yeah, I definitely one. say the Rybakina Blinkova one was, was the best match. I think you could argue that it was objectively the best match of the tournament, even but. Um, yeah, my my one uh, problem with that match is that Rybakina didn't win it. So uh, <laughs> it's because I think this is one of those upsets that just go so close. It's just so close for her to, to get through to the next round. And I knew it. I knew it as soon as like I saw like she had like six match points. Blinkova had 10 and it was like longest tie break. I just, I just had this feeling she's going to lose the next round, isn't she? And that's exactly what happened. That's the only thing that was kind of said about it. But, you know, obviously it's, uh, it's a result that I hope it's not going to be Blinkova's best, uh, you know, result in her career. But, um, you know, yeah, definitely a match that I'll definitely be looking forward to go back to when the Australian Open puts it all up uh, in uh, as an entire, as to, you know, the entire match on YouTube soon enough, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, I would agree. I think I've got a poll up on uh, Twitter at the minute um, just to see you know, what the best, what everyone's thoughts on the best match of the year was. Um, most I think I voted on that, Nick. Yeah, I, 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 I think most people are just picking from the options they gave, but there are opportunities to put another one in the mix. But at the moment, yeah, this blink of a back and a match is leading. Um, and I think, yeah, that tie break and the drama of it, like blink of his match point save was incredible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not winning by much though. It's definitely uh, getting close. Um, yeah, the show that Collins match was really good too. It was so good. Um, it was. Yeah, it really was. They they both they were both really really good. Um, and uh, yeah, for different reasons. Like they were definitely both dramatic at the end in very different ways. Um, like blink of a Rebecca was on a knife edge and like that the first two sets were really good quality tennis from both and then they both got super tight in the third and it was a massive mess and then the tie break happened and they suddenly both became clutch mm-hmm. it was really weird um Shviontek collins was definitely about which player peaked at the right moment and for whether they could make a difference with it um and then obviously goff sabalenka was probably the match that actually involved two players kind of nicely warmed up going for mm-hmm. it and, and playing um, well relatively at the same time yeah and i mean you, you can be honest with that that like a lot of people are probably not picking it because it didn't go to the third set but but i yeah, think there's the plenty of eight. examples i think there's plenty of examples of good matches not necessarily going to a deciding set so yeah. i guess it depends on what you like some people really think that that is a that is a 
crux of a good tennis or like the most competitive tennis match, but eh, not necessarily an exciting tennis match. Um, a lot of the time, because obviously it's like it's then like, a, oh, which way is it going to go? Mm-hmm. And that was probably that's probably why Rabakina versus Blinkova is winning because we literally had no idea where it was going to go. By the time it hit ten all, we were like, how on a like what? <laughs> like how many match points is Blinkova going to miss? Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, Miles. So yeah, I mean, Miles. I think you said like you thought um, it was either Rabakina Blinkova or Kostic Goff. As mm-hmm. your favorite but n- now that I'm reminded of uh Swiatek and Collins, um that one might that one might get a small nudge up for me. I wasn't necessarily rooting for either one until Collins really got into the driver's seat and I was like, oh, this would be a massive upset to to see, especially because Collins has played so well in Australia over the years, and it would have been even nicer to see her win uh, because of the news she released right after, which is this would be her last season. Um, but either way, that was a really high quality match and it had some of the best qualities of women's tennis to me in it, which is just all out aggressive uh, ground stroke, which is what Collins really excels at. And then uh, the the surge that Ega went on to kind of uh, defend herself from that barrage and a little bit of Collins kind of, you know, losing her momentum all of that combined made it a for a really good watch so yeah that one might take the cake actually yeah i think yeah that it was really good quality stuff from both players mm-hmm. uh, and obviously i'm probably going to pick that one um but that's that's the last bit of bias that will overtake it but um i think that's probably Iga's most impressive comeback for me like it's up there with the match point saves against ben Chich. you know that's so interesting because I referred to that match point save match at Wimbledon against Benchich when she lost the very next match because she did the same thing at Wimbledon. Like she saved some match points. She didn't save match points against Collins, but she was definitely looking like the loser of that match. And I thought in both of those scenarios, it would propel her to play better tennis because, you know, over seven matches, you usually get one stinker or close to a stinker. But in both of those tournaments, Wimbledon and now Australia, the very next match she played, she kind of put herself in the same predicament and lost it. So that's interesting to me that she didn't, like, even though I thought she was getting out that one match where she kind of just plays plays below par but still makes it out, she made it out, but didn't. But that didn't, that didn't necessarily turn into even better tennis. That's, that's something I'll be keeping an eye on for the next time she plays a Grand Slam. Yeah, uh, I I think it's something we should probably talk about in a minute um, with Iga, um, but I'm aware Andre has to go. Yeah. Um, so Andre, thanks for coming on and starting the conversation um, with us, and uh, I've enjoyed your thoughts on yes, yeah, Sabalenka's run, Coco, Zhang, and of course our favourite matches this tournament, and uh, I hope to do another show with you soon. Yeah, for sure. Uh, excited to come back soon and uh, have a great show, guys. See ya. Thanks, Andre. Um, so yeah, so what we'll probably do uh, serves of the uh, the running order, sort of peek behind the curtain for our listeners, viewers. Um, we are, pro- I think, what I'm going to do is we'll focus on just running down the rest of the WTA uh, results. So we'll circle back to Eager later on, um, mm-hmm. but also um, we'll come back to Sabalenka at the end of the show. So we can hear Miles's thoughts on that run, um, but I think I think it's appropriate since the champion we should start the podcast with her and end the show with her. So 
Um, we'll, we'll, we've covered three of the four semi-finalists. Um, Diana Yastremska almost did the Radical. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I cannot say I, I saw that coming at all. Not at all. I genu- So I, like, I was tracking the draw because um, like, that's what I do, like to follow things like to help me like pick matches I'm going to watch. Like I'll kind of like highlight certain players or how well they're going to do. Like obviously I've got my spreadsheet that I use for um, doing my power rankings. And I kept on looking at your strengths draw and I was like, okay, she's got to lose this match. Oh no, she's definitely mm-hmm. going to lose that match. She's mm-hmm. got to lose it as a ranker, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Noshkova should be the favourite in that quarterfinal. No, Daniel Yastramski is in the semi-finals of a Grand Slam. Okay. <laughs> I don't think it's a... Is it that big of a surprise knowing about Yastramski's career that she made a Grand Slam semi-final? In where her career was currently before that Australian Open, yes, it was a surprise. But in the context of what Yastramski can do on a tennis court, no. Because she is a former top 25 player just rec- as recently as 2020. But... I think the only time I really picked Yastrzemska to win was when she played in the quarterfinals against Noskova. Every other time I was like, oh, she's probably going to run out of gas against Navarro because Navarro had just won in Hobart, which was her first WTA title. And I thought she would kind of keep her momentum and she's a 27 seed. And then she came up against Azarenka and Azarenka notoriously plays well in Australia. She made the semifinals in 2023 and uh, I don't know how deep we we want to talk about Azarenka, but that was one of the, even though the match score may not show it, because seven six six four is respectable. That was one of the poorer performances I've ever seen from Azarenka, especially in serving. Um, but Yastrzemska was the be- was the better player on that day, and then against Noskova, I thought Noskova would have had a little bit of a letdown, especially because she had beaten Iga. And then her next match against Fidelina was a retirement. And I do think sometimes getting a retirement, especially early on in a match, can throw off your rhythm. And unfortunately, I kind of saw that for Noskova. So that was the only time I actually penciled in Yastrzemska to win during during the tournament. Every other time, except maybe Von Drusova in the first round, which is really what catapulted her into the semis. Because um, Von Drusova had really no form. And I think she had won, I, I, I may have gotten this stat from Talking Tennis. I think she had won maybe one or two matches since the U.S. Open. Not, not very many. One match. One match. So that that wasn't the way in which she won. Beating Von Drusova 6-1, 6-2 was a surprise. But the result necessarily wasn't because both of those players can be streaky. But all in all, I think Yastrzemska took advantage of uh, a good draw but also played very um, good players. And she played well herself. I'm not sure where she goes from here. It's hard for me to predict her to be another top 20 consistent threat because she does have, she doesn't play with enough margin for me to kind of feel safe giving predictions about her, her ranking. But I think she's now comfortably in the top 40 based off of that run, I would imagine. I'm looking for any, yeah, she's she's top 30. She's 29. Yeah. So I I can based off of that result, similar to what Magdalenette did last year, making the semifinals kind of helped her ranking stay in that top 40 for the whole year. So that's probably where she's going to be at. And she'll be seated probably for the next major at Roland Garros. So I think that's highly likely. I think, yeah, Lynette was, I think she was Lynette seated for pretty much the next four majors. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I I think Yastramska will stay a streaky player. Um, mm-hmm. She's definitely one of those 
big hitters in the sort of Ostapenko mould of she needs to be on to do well mm -hmm. um, just because of the way she plays the game. It's awesome when it works mm -hmm. um, as, you know, she she deservedly hit her way into the Australian Open semi-finals mm -hmm. and finally delivered on some of that promise. But I agree with you. I don't see her doing it week in, week out. But it's up to her to prove us wrong. Yeah, I would love to be proved wrong because she was actually someone whose game I really saw a lot of a lot of potential in. I thought she'd be a consistent top 20 player. But we mentioned Ostapenko. Ostapenko has pretty much been a top 20 or top 20 adjacent player for a, for large chunks of her career. You know, she's done just enough to kind of be in the conversation. Like, oh, Ostapenko could make a quarterfinal here or she could lose first or second round. Either or, or either one of those options are completely legitimate. And I feel like Yastrzemska will have a similar mode to that. Like when she's, like you said, when she's on, it's going to be who can stop that. And when she's off, it's going to be pretty much anybody can can stop that. So I'm, I'm excited that she got some some confidence from Australia, though. That's, that's good to see. Yeah. I, I With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. I wasn't planning on talking about this player, but I'm going to anyway because she is. Let's talk about him. <laughs> Linda Noshkova. Um, yeah, that's, that's a good player to talk about. I, because like, I think she's been underrated this whole tournament. Mm -hmm. um, it was weird that like so many people were like, they saw not like Damien said he saw Noshka getting to round three. He didn't see he gave her the least chance of beating Eager out of her potential draw. Whereas when I saw Noshka as a potential draw for Eager, I was scared uh, because I know how big she can hit. She got to the Brisbane semis, mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, that she, she's the teen talent that's just looking for that breakthrough moment. And I really thought that against, you know, you're talking about, you thought Yastramska would beat Noshkova. I was expecting Noshkova to dip, but I thought that would be in the quarter, in the semi-final mm -hmm. rather than the quarter-final because she would have got a little bit of confidence from sort of backing up. She would have, like, I would, if she was going to dip in the next match, I was expecting to be Svitolina, but she managed to handle the start of that match pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I thought this would be Noshkova's moment of, Grand Slam semis as a teenager, watch out, we've got a new star. And she didn't quite deliver on that. Frustrates me a little bit for her. Um, but I definitely still think that she is a a name to watch. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think she's going to be as streaky as other players we've talked about. I don't think she'll be as streaky as like the Yastrzemska and Ostapenko that we've talked about. I see a little bit more... Uh, point construction in her game and it seems like she's more willing to do the work to add layers to her game whereas Jastrzemska and Ostapenko feel like they're pretty comfortable being big linear hitters that can have off days and lose a match or lose a set six love and kind of sweep it sweep it beside them and not really worry about missing their shots but 
understand that they're going to fall in. Noskova seems like she has a little bit more uh, layer and potential layers to her. But I'm happy that she now has the experience of what it feels like to be in the second week of a major because she's, like you said, she's been a name that I've been circling since I first saw her. And yeah, beating the world number one in the third round, her giving her her earliest Grand Slam exits since Wimbledon of 2022, that's uh, pretty impressive. And that's probably a good time to talk about that match and that run from Iga that was ended unexpectedly early. Well, expected or unexpectedly because some people had a losing in round one to Kenin. Collins posed a real threat in round two. Like, it was one of those, it was in retrospect, a draw that, yeah, it would have been insane if she had somehow won the title with it. Yeah, because that's that's some serious threats. Because, I mean, had she won no, had she won against Noskova, she would have likely played Fidelina, who beat her six, six months ago or so in Wimbledon. So that would have been another threat, like you said. But, yeah, I, I don't I don't leave Australia, like, comparative to what I've seen on socials and online. Some people are looking at this as like the doom of Iga and the beginning of the downfall. I don't see it that way, especially as we go into a part of the season where she started being the most dominant player of this of this 2020s uh, period, which was Indian Wells, Miami, and then into the clay season. I think some of those conditions really suit her game. So it's just a matter of time before she kind of reestablishes herself. She's already world number one, but reestablishes herself as like, hey, remember, like, don't like, let's not forget I'm Iga Sviatek and I still have four Grand Slam titles. And this is the period of the season where I peak. It's just, you know, that kind of draw is tough. She played essentially the same kind of player three times. <laughs> yeah, so, and it's kind of play it on a fast, hard court that's a nightmare for her. Yep, 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 yep. yep. Uh, and and yeah, I mean, like, I think that she's overperformed in Australia, maybe, mm-hmm. um, in, in her career. Like, obviously, she she was very close to making her quarterfinal breakthrough here in 2020. Mm-hmm. Same again in 2021 against Halep. That was a really close, really good match that they played. Mm-hmm. Battled her way to the semifinals in 22 only lost to an amazing Rebecca in 23. And mm-hmm. I think the Noshkova match. Okay, I'm going to ask you this. Miles, when you're watching one of your faves, be it Coco, Serena back in the day, Naomi, is Naomi a fave? Mm-hmm. One of them? Yeah. Like, do you ever watch one of their matches and like when it gets close or even when it's not close, when they seem to, they should be winning it and like they're playing shots that you think they should be making or questionable, do you get frustrated? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I know. Like, I, I was thinking back because I'm pretty sure someone has seen my live reactions during any of those matches. So yes, I get frustrated yeah. and pull the imaginary hair out of my scalp that I have. Yes, mm-hmm. and it's magnificent hair too. Um, Thank you. <laughs> uh, the so I that Noshkova loss, mm-hmm. I wasn't getting irritated with Eager until set three. Hmm. Um, I thought she held off Noshkova pretty well in set one. Noshkova played amazing to snatch set two. Um, like Noshkova just stopped missing and was blasting it and it was working. And then set three was when like I was starting to see the the frustrating errors coming from Iga's racket, um, mm-hmm. particularly in the game that ended up being the decisive break for 4-3 for Noshkova, um, where... She was making silly errors. Her serve, her first serve wasn't working. That was it. I, I, I actually would have considered putting Shviontek versus Noshkova as one of the contenders for match of the tournament because of actually the quality from both was actually pretty good. Um, yeah. uh, so, in the context of that match, 
as a fan of Iga Sviantec, I wasn't frustrated with her. Um, and she said that she wasn't feeling it in the tournament and the conditions weren't right. So I agree with you. We're coming into a section of the season that she's actually pretty comfortable in. Mm-hmm. And she only underperformed in because she wasn't well uh, last year. So, um, yeah, I don't I don't think it's a disaster. We've had Serena Williams lose in round three of slams before and it's not affected anything. We've had Maria Sharapova lose in round three, which is probably a better comparison um, mm-hmm. to... Um, in round three of slams and it's not affected how we see her as a contender saw her as a contender back in the day um same with naomi i don't think it's going to be uh much of a difference i think she's going to be in the mix um i think it'll be one of those we- matches i think it'll be one of those matches that ages well like unless noskova just completely nose nose dives i don't think that's going to happen I think she's more on the trajectory of up. So when we look back at that match a year or so later, it'll be like, well, of course, Noskova was a problem for Iga because look at what she's done now. You know, I yeah. think that's I think that's the match will it'll it'll age well. I think I, I said in my sort of summary tweet after the match that I think it will be a defeat that will age well. Oh, you said you said that? Oh my god, we're in sync. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought that, I thought that on the day it was like this is going to be a defeat that's going to age well because of what oh. Noskova is going to do in her career. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Um, so no issues for uh, yeah, no concerns about Iga. Do we have concerns about Rabakina? Like, did she um, sabotage herself a little bit in that match? I feel like the level dropped a bit, particularly in the third set against Blinkova. I am mild worried about Rabakina. Not in the sense that I don't think she's going to keep a top 10 level, but I'm not sure she's going to get back to the kind of Grand Slam finalist champion level. I am a little bit concerned about that, and that's that's merely based on the past six months. But then, you know, all I have to do is kind of pull up some highlights of how well she played at Indian Wells in Rome of last year, and I, I may feel a little differently, but those performances... Yeah, and Brisbane this year, yes, of course. So that that also lessens why I'm not really concerned about her. I just don't know if she is as much of a big match player as her ranking would indicate. I'll say that. Kind of, I'm not work with me here when I say this name because I'm not comparing the two. But don't you feel like Maria Sakari is far less of a big match player than her top ten ranking would would suggest? So what do you would you say? What do you mean by a big match player? Because for me, a big match is how do you perform in semifinals and finals? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily think, round two of a Grand Slam. I think that's fair, but also round two of a Grand Slam becomes very big when you're playing somebody that is close to beating you. So maybe that's more of a clutch player. Maybe I'm maybe I'm maybe somewhere I'm somewhere between saying Urbakina isn't as clutch and a big match player as I think she is. Maybe more leaning towards clutch. Because if she was, she would have found a way to convert against those match points against Blinkova, especially with so many opportunities to do so. And that's where I'm a little bit worried. And that that makes me concerned about, well, how is she going to make it through seven matches at a slam again and kind of show that that Wimbledon wasn't a fluke and make her... She's shown that Wimbledon wasn't a fluke because she's she's had a top 10 career pretty much ever since then. But I am concerned if she will be a Grand Slam champion again. I think there's there's starting to be concerned i'm not like squarely saying she won't be but i'm starting to wonder if it'll happen again i think that's fair in as much as you know 
there are other players in a similar position to her mm-hmm. that you're like, um, are you... I think if we look at the players that we're most confident are going to win another Grand Slam on the tour right now, mm-hmm. I think I can only name three. I was thinking three as well. <laughs> yeah, we've probably got the same three in mind. Uh, but Rebecca is a party spoiler. I I think it's a, I think for those party spoiler. I think that's a perfect that's a perfect thing for her. Yeah, yeah, she's a party spoiler. She she's the Andy Murray in the mix. Um, with, that's respectable. You know, with that, uh, like which you know Murray got a couple more slams out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, not the best comparison game wise, but. You know, I know, I know what you mean. The, I know what you other, mean. the other three in the current top four, mm-hmm. um, which is is uh, is our three choices for most likely to win more slams. Um, conf- we're confident to win the slams. That's Arena, Eager, and Coco. Bingo. For but, but just we've probably got some Rebecca fans watching, listening. We're not writing her off completely. Not at all. Um, I'm definitely not. Um, I look, what, ever since I've been doing power rankings for Talking Tennis, the only two players I've ever seriously considered putting at number one were Sviantec and Rabakina <laughs> for every slam. Um, so I rate... Sabalenka <laughs> was in the mix as well a little bit, but um, uh, for Wimbledon uh, last year. But yes, uh, Rabakina is a player I rate very, very highly. Her upside is very, very high. And I... Um, I'm not as down as you on her ability to replicate that in a slam, particularly Wimbledon. I think Wimbledon and the grass really, really suits her. Um, I would agree. With that very flat, precise forehand, the big serve. Um, yeah, she's comfortable on grass, and that means that Wimbledon's probably going to be a, a decent backyard for her. She may be of the covet of a mold, like, you know, go a couple of years in between Wimbledon titles and win some tour titles and make you think, oh, it's going to happen again. And it may happen once more, but it probably won't happen again and again and again. That's kind of how I view Kvitova's career. Like, definitely a absolutely solid top 10 player, but definitely also had some opportunities to add to her Grand Slam count, but didn't because maybe she didn't perform as well as one of the favorites, which is what Isabella is saying in the live comments that, she didn't do well as a favorite, which is what she became once she won Brisbane. And I feel like Kvitova has done that a couple of times in her career, like won a lead up and made you think, oh, this is going to like transfer into another Grand Slam breakthrough for her and not quite. Rabakina, as it stands now, I would not be surprised if that is, you know, her, her category of tennis player. But that's still a very successful tennis player because as was Kvitova, very successful. Yeah, I, and Kvitova still is very, like, I'm assuming she's planning on coming back from maternity leave this year. It seems like a trend for women to, uh, you know, have start their families and come back, but I, well, the jury's still out. I'm sure I'm sure she's not even thinking about it at the moment as she just announced the pregnancy. Probably not her <laughs> highest priority now. <laughs> yes, um, yes. <laughs> but, um, well, I told you, maybe she's hoping to try to keep herself sort of semi-fit as much as she can. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, I think Kvitova is a good comparison because also Kvitova on her week, no can be anybody. Yep. Like yep. I mean, she saw that t- like twice last year. She won Miami and Berlin, mm-hmm. um, in really impressive ways, particularly Miami. Yeah. Uh, a way she took down Rabakina in that final. So yeah, Kvitova I think is a very very good comparison for 
Rebecca is. As we see her right now, she's still a young player. Mm-hmm. Let's see what happens. Well, we've hit the hour mark, so we should probably start mopping up um, other stories from uh, the tournament, really. Um, I have one or two names that I think are worth touching on. Have we talked about disappointments? We talked about like major disappointments on on the women's side? That can be a story. I mean, I would consider like obviously by seedings. Mm-hmm. She's on the back of her, or obviously you could call them quotes disappointments. But even then, look at the matches they played to get taken out. They played like champions in those matches. Yes, would um, agree. So that's why they wouldn't go in that category. They were they would go in the upset category, but not disappointments. Whereas the names I'm thinking of, uh, like Pagula, Sakari, and Von Drusova. <laughs> and actually, there's a couple: Pagula, Ans, Sakari. Uh, and maybe Haddad Maya even all go under the uh, disappointing category for me because they didn't necessarily, they didn't, they, none of them played their best in the matches they, they lost. And they all had opportunities to make this draw work for them. And they didn't, they didn't stick around long enough to even see it through. And Pagul is probably the, the, the most shocking out of that because she's normally miss put her in the quarters. Um, Cause that's, that's, that's where her, her, her tennis leads her nine times out of 10, but a loss to Clara Burrell, who lost in straight sets in the very next round, probably like we were talking about the Noskova upset that probably won't age well. I don't think it will. And I mean, no, this is not disrespect to Clara Burrell, but I think Clara Burrell and Pagula are going to have very different careers as it stands right now. And then, um, Sakari, I, I'm not. <laughs> Part of me is sure about how she's hanging on to like a top 10 seed and a top of uh, being a top 10 player. But the other part of me is confused by it because at the biggest of the biggest events, when everyone's there, she does not perform at all. And that's not what you want to see in a top 10 player, but that's what she is because she finds a way to turn it on in the weeks where it's a little bit lighter on the season. So that keeps her ranking up there. So, but I, I was, I was surprised she lost in straight sets to Avanesian in the second round, but Avanesian is shown to be a good player uh, with with some promise. But again, overall, Sakari and Pagula are probably my top two biggest disappointments. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think Pagula underperformed, mm-hmm. but she wasn't looking good after United Cup. Like there was, she was off at United Cup. Um, the so it wasn't a huge surprise for me. Sakari at slams seems to be a trend. Mm-hmm. Um, Von Drusheva, we said, was not in form. Jabir hadn't played a warm up. None of those were massive surprises to me, but I don't, I don't want to focus on the underperformances really. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't always think that's fair. I think if Pagula underperforms the next couple of months through the Middle East and the Sunshine Double, let's ring alarm bells. But mm-hmm. um, the others kind of half for the course for where they are, like but on their we, day. Do we have days. alarm bells already for those players? Like, are there alarm bells already on for Von Drusova and Sakari and Ans? I think. I mean, it depends. It depends on what you mean. Like, what what's the alert for? <laughs> what's the alert for? Being outside. Being outside the top 10 by the end of the season. Because all of them are inside now. And I think all three of there's a case for 
whether you're a fan of them or not, there's a case that they won't make the top 10 or the year ending finals, which all of them qualified for again. That might not happen again this season. Um, I think obviously slams are always an opportunity for big points. I think you don't, I, I, I'm going to say with all of them for getting worried about losing the top 10 spot, they continue to underperform going into clay. Different story. Um, and Hector in the chat has um, actually pointed out, does on Shaber lost half the mitigating circumstance that she lost to Mira Andreva? Yeah, yes, it does, because Mira Andreva is definitely a player on the come up. But I watched the beginning of that match, and it was mostly Anjabor, Jabor and her very poor level that got that match to scoreline it did and that's not that's not me purposefully trying to take anything away from Mira Andreva because she played better than Ons on that day but if I'm just being I'm calling it what it is Ons stunk up the court that day and Andreva did what she had to do to not be as stinky so um I think that'll age well but a lot of Ons Jabor's losses will not in the past mm, four months or so so I, I just I, I I'm starting to be alone for all three. Not so Von Drusova, even in the middle of that Wimbledon presentation, I never got the idea that she would have been a player that's going to have this long tenure at, at the top 10. So I'm not surprised by that. But I mean, the way she lost to Yastrzemska was a bit surprising. She barely won a game in that match, as did Ons. So they're both end of kind of recalibrating their teams to figure out how we get the best out of our games. Cause I think at their best, all three of these players are some of the best in the world, but as it stands right now, their, their top 10 Kings are a little bit um, inflated. By their mo- the, the first half of those 52 weeks that stay on the ranking points, not necessarily the most recent weeks. Someone who is having the up. I want to keep talking about Mira Andreeva for a couple yes. of minutes. Yeah. Let's do that. Um, we were, I think a lot of people were putting her in their quarter in the quarters against Sabalenka after that went over ons. Mm-hmm. Um, did we overestimate Mira or did we underestimate Barbara Krajikova? I'm in the latter camp. I would be in the latter camp as well, especially c- considering Andreeva had beaten Krajikova. One once was by retirement, but she was up in that match. I, I, I thought Andreva had. I thought Andreva was kind of making Krajcikova a little bit of a pigeon early on in her career. So I was actually surprised Krajcikova was was able to put it out in three sets. Um, so it's definitely the latter for me as far as underestimating Krajcikova. But I'm still leaving the Australian time zone and mind frame with a uh, a lot of confidence for Mira Andreva Ashton because you know. A fourth round, another second week of a major as a 16 is pro. Yeah, and so early in her career as well. Like, given, given, like, this, she's played four majors in her career and she's made second mm-hmm. week of two of them. Yeah. Come within a set of a quarter final in two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably even close to that against Keys at Wimbledon. Uh, yeah, and beaten some really, really good players. Um, in her career so far. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm definitely on board the Andreva hype train. I'm just not sure. Like there's <laughs> some people who think she's going to make top 10 this year. I don't think she's going to climb that high that quickly. She will get there one day. Um, 
but I would say she's probably going to do that when she's 18, not when she's 16, 17. Um, I don't know. She's 35 right now, and, and that Australian open run jumped her up 12 spots. If she makes another good run, I know she's, I think she's defending. I know she's defending some points in Madrid, but if Indian Wells and Miami are good to her, plus another good run at Roland Garros, I think she made the third round losing Coco. I don't mm-hmm. see why top 10 by the, it'll probably be more post US Open than pre US Open, but I definitely could see a urge from Mirror Andreeva into the top 10. I think it's, I, I think she's a more complete player than most 16 uh, year olds are. And she has, the tools she has a she has a base game that could bother a lot of players ranked uh around her and below her and that's you got to be able to beat the players around you and more and definitely below you if you want to be in the top 10 so i think it's possible i wouldn't write it off she has one of the best base games i've ever seen um Mm -hmm. as as a 16 year old like i i can't no one's figured out what her major weaknesses are yet and but um and like they're there they're lurking somewhere um but the what she's got she's got amazing weaponry incredible defense and her fighting spirit and her tennis iq is incredible so yeah i i I, she's Mm -hmm. on her way there's no doubt about that but i think it's going to depend on her draws as well like she got coco round two of the us open was that us open Sure, it was US. It was, yeah. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was that hindered her from doing another second week run there. So it's probably going to depend on how her draws are. Um, and she's, yeah, she's not far away from being I don't want to put too much on her too soon. And I just want her to continue to be able to surprise us rather than us assuming she's going to win so young and setting us, setting ourselves and her up to disappoint us. A bit like what happened with Coco early on in her career. I think that's fair and definitely um, a good thought process. But then I also, how many Russian and Czech women tennis players show how good they can be? And I would not be surprised if Andre was part of that mode either. Because we've seen Russians and uh, Czech women to the scene as teenagers and continue that trend. I'm thinking of Sharapova, Kvitova, um, even some other ones that are coming to mind. I'm sure there's more examples, but I, I, like again, I'm, I'm on the Andreva hype train. She's not necessarily my favorite to watch, but when I do watch her, I'm like, oh yeah, there's a there's a talent there on the WTA tour for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think she's a great watch, but obviously, I think our our preferred styles of tennis are a little bit different. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think it would be remiss of us not to mention uh, Mira. Um, all right, well. Um, I said we'd we'd end by talking about Sabalenka again because you weren't here for the Andre chat with Sabalenka. Um, mm-hmm. I have a question about Sabalenka that I didn't get to ask Andre. I want to ask you, but before that, let's just get your thoughts on Sabalenka's title run. I think her title run was very very impressive, and the most impressed I was wasn't even actually the six love six love defeat over Sorenko which on paper is the most impressive win because she didn't drop a game I was actually the most impressed 
by her fourth round match over uh, her fourth round match went over Nisimova because that was a a match I circled because it fit all of the criteria of what I want to see in a, in a women's tennis match personally. Um, and that, shout out to Nisimova for coming back and using her protected ranking after taking some time off and getting all the way to the fourth round. I think Australia is a a good place for her, and I'm excited to see what her season looks like now that she's kind of refocused and and found some peace on the tennis court again. But as far as Sabalenka, um. And just majorly impressive. It, it it gave me shades of her Belarusian uh, older mentor in Azarenka because I specifically remember that 2012 Australian Open win just seeming like it gave her a bundle of confidence that she was always confident. And as a player, I've been watching Azarenka since 2007. But that 2012 win gave her an extra boost. And then when she got back to defend her title, it was just all there and just kind of gleaming off of her. And that's what Sabalenka felt like. It was like there there was a question mark because sometimes players don't come back to the the place where they just had success at a major and play well. But Sabalenka seemed like she was very comfortable. And even in the most pressure field of situations where which weren't that many, just maybe the, the semifinal match against Coco. She was prepared and ready to implement her big game. And yeah, she is the player to now beat in Australia, I think. Yeah, I, I said earlier, I think she's going to take some beating to beat in the country mm-hmm. of Australia next year or so. Um, mm-hmm. Like any defeat against her is going to be, a, going to be an upset. Um, does this title change our assessment of Sabalenka in any way. It does. It does to me. It makes me, one, feel like I wasn't an idiot for pointing her out back in 2017. Fun fact, by the way, I may use this if I ever can um, submit tennis trivia questions to a bar, but Sabalenka's first WTA title was also the, uh, oh, excuse me, her first WTA tour final was also the last WTA tour title for Sharapova. I thought that's an interesting little fun um, mix there because I think Sabalenka has said that Sab- that Sharapova was one of the uh, influences in her tennis. And it's it's clear as day as, as to how that happened in, in my mind. But Sabalenka does, this, this win does mean something for me because I think it automatically guarantees her a Hall of Fame position. And had she not won it, then I don't think... I think there would have been uh, there, there would have had to have been more of an argument to get her there because obviously there's a select few tennis players that get to world number one and win a slam, but now she's a part of the rare air that has been to world number one and won more than one slam. So yeah, I think this win, this win does a lot for her confidence. It does a lot for her uh, stature in the game. And she is now one of the elite group who has won a slam without dropping a set. Mm-hmm. Which I think in Australia it's only been Serena, Barty, and Davenport. And yeah. who am I missing? Maybe Azarenka herself, actually. No, 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 no. no, no. Azarenka dropped a, she dropped a set in 2012. I, I have it on my laptop somewhere, but yeah. Um I'm, I feel like I'm missing a name. I don't know who it is. <laughs> uh yeah, it might have been Steffi or Monica Sadash. Would not uh, be surprised. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, somewhat, I think it might, yeah, one of the 90s women. Um, uh, I think it might actually be Steffi. Uh, it's Steffi. Um, so, yeah, so she, um, 
Oh, yeah. No, wait. Are you talking about fewest games lost on a slam run? I was talking about winning the Australian Open without dropping a set. Um, mm. Anyway, so, but yeah, Steffi does have the record of fewest games dropped on the way to a Grand Slam title. Um, that's for sure. Uh, by some margin, that's going to be very, very hard to beat. Um, 20 games. Mental. Double bageled. Crazy. In the final. Um, so... Um, anyway, uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's Savalanki. Yeah, I agree, and I think that winning a Grand Slam without dropping a set is enough to put you in the Hall of Fame, um, and especially when yeah, it gives you advantage over other people who have won multiple slams who didn't do it, um, and I have also made it to number one. So yeah, for me, Savalenka, Yeah, when when we look back on this era of tennis, she is going to be one of the greats of the era, um, mm-hmm. and I I have no. Whereas before, like even during last year, I was like, I need to see her sustain it. But now I have no issue putting her in the same elite level category as I would put Sviantek, Barty and Osaka. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, Coco will make her way in there eventually, but she's not it's, there just yet. It's amazing what winning seven matches can do to the the uh, overarching view of your career. But yeah, that's 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 why Grand Slam Grand Slam matches are the most important because they are the ones you you think about the longest and make up the bulk of your the impact in your career. So yeah, I'm I'm proud of Sabalenka and she's done herself well these past two weeks. Yeah, she's she should be proud. I think she is. Um, I mean, look, have you seen the way she holds that trophy? She I was just about to say the way she yeah, was dancing yeah. with it. I'm no, I know she's if she's not proud, she's something close to it. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't think she's getting, she's, she's letting, someone's going to have to pry it out of her fingers and it's going to be messy. <laughs> um, metaphorically and literally, potentially. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think we've gone over an hour, which is probably long enough for most people um, to hear, um, to hear our voices. Um, there is WT action happening already. As usual, we've got, 500 happening in Linz. Yelena Ostapenko is the only top 20 player in action. Uh, That's yeah, a 500? Linz is a 500. Why did they do that? That's interesting. Because the WTA don't like 250s. That's so interesting. Um, but okay. Yeah, Linz is a 500 with only one top 20 player in it. Um, there's a couple of other players in action there is like of note. So um, Ekaterina Alexandrova is the second seed. Donna Vekic is seeded three. Um, Angie Kerber's playing. Um, oh, yeah, that's cool for her. Yeah. So is Diana Yastremska. She's got a wild card. And then other players to kind of watch. Katie Bolter got a good win today, knocking out Jasmine Paolini um, in straight sets 6 2 6 2. Very impressive. One to watch. Clara Towson qualified as well. Clara I think Towson. she's gotten to the quarterfinals yeah. last that's year. The other name. Mm-hmm. That's the other name I was going to say was Clara Towson has qualified. So. Let's see how she goes in her kind of comeback. Would you want to call it a comeback? Uh, maybe. I'm not sure. She's, been, she's been one of those players that yeah, she's been one of those players that I've that I've had circled because when I've seen her play, it's been like, oh yeah, she hits a big ball, which I love to see. But the results haven't been like when I look at her name and I get notifications, it's usually a loss. So yeah, I think she maybe she's just in the rebuilding phase of her career. She's still quite young herself, I believe. Like, yeah, yeah, she's the is same. Is she still age. a teenager? Uh, not anymore. She's twenty one. No. She's twenty one. Got it. No, yeah, she's she's the same age as Raducanu, I think. Mm-hmm. She just turned twenty one in December, so yeah, she has 
a whole heap of tennis in front of her if she stays healthy. Exactly. Um, and then in uh, Hua Hin in Thailand, there's a 250 going on. Um, top seed's already out. Um, Magdalenette um, has lost to Paola Badosa, um, who I have circled as... What oh, that's who she lost to? She lost to Paola Badosa? Yeah, Magdalenette lost to Paola Badosa. Oh, good job, Paula Bedosa. I, I would like to see Paula Bedosa have a resurgence. No, it wasn't. From... It was Dana Schneider. Oh, okay. I was like, what? No, yeah, <laughs> yes. Dana Schneider should not be. <laughs> Schneider's playing Bedosa in round two. Gotcha. Sign me up for that one. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I've I've circled Bedosa as potentially winning that tournament. I would not be mad at it. Um, other players in the draw: Zhu Lin is the second seed. Linda Vravitova. Um, Ayo Tomiyaj was, but she has just got dumped out by Damagalfi. Um, is that uh, who she lost to? Yeah, six three six love. Didn't see it, but yeah, there was someone on Twitter going, "Oh wow, don't know what's gone wrong here." Um, I can't, I can't say any more about Tamjanovic. People might no, I know you're not allowed to. There's some kind of gagging order on. Um, and then there's uh, Alina Corneva, um, near Andreva's um, teenage compatriot who beat her in the Australian Open Junior Final and made a bit of a splash. This Australian Open, listen to Adam Meyer. Um, mm-hmm. He's also playing. So we're also going to see how her career journey progresses. Sorry, so, I'm still a little, still a little tickled. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad I could do that for you, Miles. Um, but we're not here to tickle tennis, we're talk to, here to talk tennis. Um, <laughs> that's a whole different thing. Uh, so we're going to end the episode here with a bit of an update. I'll be back next week to cover sort of what's happened in Linz um, and Huahin. And obviously, we'll be previewing Abu Dhabi, where that's a star-studded lineup. So I'm looking forward to mm-hmm. talking about that one. But that's next week. But while we're waiting for next week, what I would ask is, from all of you, that you take care and keep talking tennis. Thanks for coming on, Mars. Right on. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, everybody. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.